Hey everybody, Ben Nelson, the Everyday Real Estate Investor here with another podcast episode. I am super excited because we have an awesome guest today. Uh, we have Pete Reese with RealVest, and we're going to be talking about uh, a cool niche, uh, just bare land and land flipping. So I'm super excited about this. I think this is uh, this is something that I haven't done personally, but uh, I'm excited to learn about it. So Pete, thanks for being here. Well, great, uh, great to be here, and thanks for having me, Ben. Yeah, awesome. Well, let's start out. Why don't we talk a little bit about uh, you know your history, your background, and then what brought you into this this niche of real yeah. estate investing or whatever <laughs> you want to call it, right? Uh, how did you get into land flipping? Uh, tell yeah, us you know, background. it's funny. I never would have thought that I would end up in land flipping as my expertise. I never considered myself someone that was a land specialist in any way. In fact, I kind of began my real estate career like a lot of people with buying our first home, you know, and this was just a house to live in back in the year 2000 down here in San Diego. We did all right with the home just because the market sort of started to rise back then. And we made about $50,000 after holding it for about two years. And we thought we were, uh, you know, we were uh, real estate moguls. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we bought another house that needed a little bit of work. We fixed that up. Um, we were doing well on that and started buying homes to flip. So we got into flipping um, back in the kind of uh, early to mid 2000s. And we we're doing that for a while until the market crashed in 2007-ish. And just before then, I had actually gotten my broker's license here in California. And I started, I just did it to give me more access to some of the deals I was yeah. buying and show myself properties and things like that. Yeah. Um, but I, it was a, uh, it was kind of a really, really good timing because when the market crashed, basically all that was selling were bank-owned properties. And my wife kind of pushed me. She's like, hey, you should just get into listing bank-owned properties. So I really dove into that and I became um, one of the uh, largest REO listing brokers kind of in our area, in our specific little area for a while. And that was, uh, that was great because that's all that was selling. And a lot of people in real estate at that time were struggling and I was thankful to have that business coming in. Uh, but, you know, selling um, bank-owned properties is not the most ideal profession uh, in, in a lot of ways. It's challenging. Uh, it's got its challenges, it's right? Challenging. Yeah. There's a lot of emotions involved. You, you're actually dealing with people that are still living in the home after the foreclosure is done and, and things like that. So there's a, yeah. a lot of tricky situations that came up as a result of that. And I don't look back on that time as uh, favorable in any way, but I, I guess I am thankful that that opportunity was there and we were actually able to bring in money in real estate when a lot of people weren't. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 So I kind of, I, through that, I kind of met a bunch of larger investment companies that were buying up flips, even at that time. And I just started finding them deals. So like for a number of years, I was just kind of focused on finding them deals and bring them, you know, like writing offers for them all over the place, getting as many good properties locked up uh, for them as I could. And it was a it was a good thing for them because they they were looking for as many deals as they could get. I knew exactly what they were looking for because I had done the other side of it, and I, I knew I knew kind of how to get these deals locked up and, and what it would take. So I did that for a number of years. Then kind of got sidetracked into another business with my wife, uh, doing um, online uh, training for bloggers and travel bloggers. We, as a family of five, we were traveling kind of all over the world about 150 days out of the year. As a result of that, so that was that was a great experience and everything. 
but it was completely out of the real estate game. Yeah. But, I was, you know, we got we got a little burned out on that. So we got kind of the itch to get back into real estate and real estate investing. I was kind of researching different models that we could do. And I stumbled into land investing and land flipping. And it just kind of resonated with me. I would see some anecdotes from people talking about how they were doing with it. Hey, I bought this property for 10000 I sold it for 30000 and it was like, well, that, that sounds pretty cool. You know, I'd like to be able to invest 10000 and, and triple my money uh, quickly. So then I went down this whole rabbit hole, bought a training course on it, and really learned everything I could about how to evaluate land uh, specifically for this model. And then we sold our first property in March of 2021 using this model. And then uh, we ended up 2021 doing about 1.2 and some change in revenue with about 50% gross profit margin. So on average, we were able to buy a property and double it, you know, like sell it for double what we um, bought it for. Nice. And then 2022, uh, we ended up at about 3.5 million and the same thing about 50% gross profit margins. And 2023, hoping to triple that and do 10 million this year. So That's I think awesome. it's going to be yeah, awesome. So- so kind of a long road to get to that, uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, uh, this little sector of land investing, um, yeah. dabbled here and there and some other things then kind of took a little off ramp for a while in another business and, and ultimately ended up, uh, on, on land flipping. So that's awesome. What, what specific, was there something specific about the land flipping aspect that drew you to it? Um, was it the style? Was it the people that you thought you'd be working with? Was it just... You just saw opportunity there. What was it that drew you to to that specific? Uh, well, energy? I like a I like a business like that is completely controllable from a lead flow type perspective. Like I knew that we we generate all of our leads and all of our deals with direct mail, and it, it's kind of a very simple thing. It's we send out a two page letter. The first page is. Uh, explaining why we're contacting them, who we are, and and what we can do for them. And the second page is actually a one-page offer on their property. So we send those out. And, and I like the business model because I knew that the more of those I sent out, the more deals that would come back. And that's like definitely the biggest lever that you can control. And, and that's very controllable. Uh, so I like that. I like the, f- and I also like the fact that there like not every property is the same. And I feel like I excel personally in kind of being, being able to look at something and see the value there. Yeah. Maybe, maybe where other people weren't, maybe if we could do something, something little, the property to, to value at it or, or just to kind of recognize a deal when, when it's, when I see, I, I feel like I'm good at recognizing a deal when I see one. Yeah. yeah I'm not always yeah. perfect, okay. but I feel like generally I've got a pretty good grasp on that. So I yeah, like and, both of those aspects. Okay. And you mentioned value add. So the, so I would venture to guess that, um, you know, this is much different than buying, you know, a 20 unit apartment complex or something that yes. needs a bunch of uh, renovations to bring it up to, to today's standards. Right. So this is, right. you know, you might do a little bit. I, I mean, I guess give us a few examples of what you might do to, to value sure. add, but it's going to be a lot different than doing something like that. Yeah. And, and most of the value add stuff we do are really pretty simple. Like it could be clearing paths in a property so people can actually access it. Like a lot of these properties we buy are fully wooded properties. They're rural properties. They're fully wooded. Maybe, maybe the property owner hadn't been even on that property in 10, 20 years, you know? Yeah. So cutting, cutting paths even through the property to kind of access it so 
so then potential buyers could see what it is they're buying. Uh, that's actually a huge thing and and increases the value kind of substantially in some cases. Yeah, um, yeah. So some access stuff, things like that. But yeah. you're not things like you're not adding like buildability items like well and septic and things like that. Are you? Uh, we do a perk. Te- we do perk test quite a, quite often. Okay. So yeah, if it's a property that we know would be a good home site, or or we could also market it as a potential home site, and and we're pretty certain that we can get a, a good perk test there, then we will go ahead and do that. Cause that, that definitely helps the marketability. You know, if it's 800 or a thousand dollars to get a soil scientist out to the property to do that, it will definitely get more than that back generally. <laughs> um, and then sometimes we'll do a survey, you know, if it's required, if there's an old survey on the property or something, and then here and there, we'll actually do minor subdivisions. And in a lot of these States that we're working in, in order to, subdivide a property it's pretty simple you just have a survey hire a surveyor to go out there and he maps it out stakes it out in the ground and then submits the map to the county and then you can sell those those parcels individually so on that note uh where if you don't mind sharing like what areas are you targeting and why is that uh there's a lot in that question because like is it like ease of ease of doing things like that, that has you targeting them? Is it the market itself? Is it just, what, what is drawing you to like, what markets are you working in? And then like, what is trying you to be focused in those areas? Yeah, really good uh, questions. Well, uh, for the most part right now, I'm working in the Southeast and the East coast, like, you know, like New York down to Florida, that whole range down through okay. there. And it kind of, um, a lot of these markets just kind of stumbled in like, one thing I look at before I'll send out any sort of marketing or any sort of mail to an area is that, is there an active market? Are things buying and selling in that county? If we, if we get a good property and we're able to price it right, or is there, are there buyers there? So I look for that. And generally kind of that whole, that whole region really, most of that fits into that, that, uh, that criteria. We, we stay away from places where, where there's a, huge glut of inventory and not a lot of purchases going on. So uh, we, we try to avoid those, but yeah. So supply and demand is, a, yeah, yeah yep. exactly. Yeah. So the, um, the thing with, um, you know, some of those areas, they are a lot easier to do things like that than, than they would like to do a minor subdivision than say California where I'm at. It's where it's, you know, a, a very laborious process and, and time consuming and costs a lot of money. So it is definitely helpful to have those types of things there. But I kind of stumbled into some of the major areas that we're working on, not stumbled into them, but I kind of targeted them. And then we ended up getting a good contacts in those areas, which makes me want to buy more and more properties in those areas. Yeah. Yeah. You start building your team and it makes it a little little easier uh, to manage your business there. So. How are you, uh, do you have like certain criteria that you, because obviously you could pull a list or something from you talk to your title company. I don't, uh, we'll get into like maybe some of the tools if you're willing to share that you use, but um, uh, is there, is there certain criteria that about the property itself or the owner or any of that stuff that you're like, well, we're not going to, cause you know, direct mail is great, but it's also very expensive. We do, yes. we do some direct mail as well. And it's, it's uh, it's not cheap. Uh, right. So you want to make sure that you're sending them to, you know, it's like anything you you're putting yourself out there. You you don't expect like everybody's going to call you, right? You just need that one little piece, but you still want it to be effective and be sending it to people that are maybe more likely to contact you, I think. Right. So um, yep. tell me a little bit about like how you're targeting or what 
uh, you're like, well, we're not going to send to this for whatever reason. Just a little bit more of your parameters. If you if you're mind share, don't mind yeah, share. Yeah, yeah. So when we're when we're pulling lists, first of all, we use DataTree, which is a first American okay. company, and they compile information from all the different parcels in the United States. I'm, I'm sure there's a couple of counties that they don't have, but for the most part, they cover the whole U.S. And then we just kind of filter. Now, for for most areas, we're looking for 10 acre plus parcels, and that generally takes us away from the big cities and and even you know like the smaller you know suburban areas outside of those those cities so it's kind of rural you know most of these properties that we buy uh, just because they're easier for the most part so we use that kind of as a major criteria i'm not really breaking it down further as far as you know out-of-state owners or how long they own the property or things like that like i i i probably could be a lot more defined on my list but to be honest, when I when I find an area that I like where we're starting to build good contacts and things, I want to send as much mail to those areas as I can. So I try not to take out too much stuff. I know other investors are very, um, they spend a lot of time and effort really refining their list and they probably get a better return on their mail than I do. But when I look at my mail costs, for instance, the big metric that I look at is how much does it cost me in mail for each deal that I get? And right now that's about 3,000, 3,200 for every deal that I get. And for my, for average deal or average profit per deal, when I kind of calculate it based off of all the things that we've done is about $22,000 profit per deal. Yeah. So yeah. if I'm at 3,000 per deal, um, I'm happy with that. I mean, if I could get it down to 1500 or a thousand, you know, that would be a lot better, but yeah. I'm not really too concerned about this. Yeah, point. but it also comes down to, uh, yeah, you can, you can spend a lot of time refining your list too. Right. And, right. um, and it's like, okay, so you, you got it down from 3000 to, you know, 2,700, but how much time did you spend doing that? And, and you, you know, to save 300 bucks. Yeah. And I, you know what I worry about? <laughs> I worry about missing that deal. You know, like, you know, I do that same yeah. thing on mine. Yeah. I, and I used to overanalyze the heck out of that and just try to figure out. And, um, you know, I think you, there's, there's a value in both, I think schools of thought and being super targeted versus just kind of the more shotgun approach. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think like when you're starting out, you know, like when you're starting out in the business, you can you can spend some more effort being like really refined on your list and that way you don't have to spend as much in that mail and hopefully you'll get a great return you know and that will help you really get things going that's but, a really good point yeah, yeah when you don't maybe have that that budget to send out that many you gotta you maybe get a little bit more target on your area or something like that just to kind of hone it in for sure yep yeah i mean right now we're sending out uh fifty thousand letters a month so you know it costs about twenty five thousand dollars a month just for that the direct mail that's a lot of mail yeah, it's a lot of mail. <laughs> yeah, but seems well to be working though. Yeah, yeah, it's working. working. So. Uh, so you mentioned one of the tools you use. What is is that basically the only tool that you're that you're using that data tree uh, tool? Well, that's that that's what we use to pull our list, but we use a number of other tools. Um, the big one that we use to evaluate land is MapRite, and okay. MapRite is uh, it's a really cool tool because you can put in the county and the parcel number, and it's going to zoom it into it, you know, satellite images for that particular parcel. You'll see all the lot lines. You'll be able to do different overlays of different satellite images from different times or different vendors. You'll see wetlands. You'll see FEMA flood zone. You'll see the contours on the property. You'll see obviously access to the, the, the road, public roadways and, and things like that. So I can tell a lot about a property just from my desk here in California. 
no matter where it is in the United States. Um, that, that's probably about 90% of the property, but we have a, a lot of other due diligence, due diligence that happens after we get under contract to actually purchase the property. But um, as far as other tools that I use, um, the they're kind of um, more backend stuff to run my business. Like for instance, we have a, uh, a service that we use that's the 24 hour phone answering service. They take messages and they'll live transfer to us, you know, during, during regular business hours. So I consider that a tool, even though they're a service. Um, also use stuff like DocuSign, you know, to do yeah. the contracts. Yeah. Cause you're doing a lot of stuff long distance. So yeah, yeah exactly. Um, we use uh, like um, for mail, you know, since we do all mail, we'll get a lot of letters back. Like sometimes we'll, uh, I mean, a lot of times we'll get back signed offers in the mail. They won't even call us or anything. They'll just sign the offer and mail it back to us. But I don't have this mail going to my house or anything. We have these um, mailing locations in, in a couple of the major markets that we work in. And they basically, the when the mail comes in, they scan it and then we get an email. So uh, nice. there's no like physically opening any of these letters or anything like that, which is really, really nice. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, yeah, so basically like a tool for your lists, a tool for a little bit of due diligence. You're doing all this long distance, right? So you're oh, yeah. traveling yeah. out to all these properties. You're nope. You're just doing it for I, I have I haven't seen, most of them I've never seen. Uh, you know, like we did a road trip um, last summer and uh, we actually saw a few of the properties that we owned. So it was kind of cool. But that those are the only ones that we ever actually saw in person. Um, That's You know, it's almost sometimes better because I don't know about you, but like. Uh, I, I tend to get emotionally invested in, in projects and properties that I'm invested oh, yeah. in. And that's not always a good thing. It's It can be a good thing, but it also can be a bad thing. It, it's funny you say that because those properties that we went to visit, I found myself really liking those. And I was like, you know, maybe I shouldn't sell these. <laughs> <laughs> Every single one of them that I saw. That's uh, so, yep, yep. That's, yeah. That's you know, I, like, I really yeah, liked I them. That. And then I probably negotiated too hard to, you know, I probably... <laughs> <laughs> probably, you know, uh, was a little ambitious with, with that side of things, but you know, it is what it is. So, yeah. I, I don't, it's interesting because it's not like, uh, we, we do send like a photographer and, and normally a broker to go out to the property and check it out and things like that. Yeah. So that's what your team like, for, right? like someone on our team is checking it out at least, yeah. but not, you know, not yeah. me personally. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the big thing that keeps people investing in their own backyard. And there's not that that's, uh, a bad thing to do, but it just keeps you really, uh, it, your opportunity is a lot smaller, right? When you yeah. are like, Oh, I got to be able to drive to the property within 45 minutes or whatever. It's like, okay, well, you know, depending on what you're, I talk all the time about investment strategy and, and, you know, what you want investing to do for you and, you know, what, what your goals in investing are may not line up with where you live. Right. So oh, uh, yeah. that's really going to keep you, you know, pinned down to, well, well you got to really just kind of cater your investment philosophy to what your market's able to produce then and, and not vice versa, which is what it should be. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think, exactly. I think yeah. Like if you're going to scale, like if you're going to scale, even if the, you know, even if I was doing properties in my backyard here, like it wouldn't make sense to like drive around and, and see all these properties, even though they're half an hour away a lot of times. Yeah. Just, there's not enough time in the day, you know? Yeah. So it's better to just pay someone to do it. <laughs> yep. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about, I, you know, a lot of my um, audience, you know, the, the whole everyday real estate investor, but everyday people were out here doing stuff just like you. You started with your own, 
you know, your own personal residence. And you're like, I'm a genius. Let's keep doing this. Right. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and a lot of people start part time. Right. So they're not, um, you know, hey, I, I really want to get involved in real estate, uh, but I've got another job. I've got all these other obligations that I have right now. Um, how can I get started? Is this something that you think people can get started with, with, you know, some limitations maybe on on time or, you know, all the excuses, right? Time, time and money and knowledge are kind of the three main excuses. So yeah. where do you see this fitting into someone that maybe is limited in, in one or all of those? Yeah, um, I think it's actually a model that would work really well for that. You know, like I mentioned that we have a 24 hour call answering service and it's great because I don't have to like sit by my phone and like, you know, if I'm doing you know, like I wouldn't have to answer any of these calls. In fact, I don't, I, I mean, at this point I have an acquisition manager that takes any, any calls and things like that. But, but at the beginning, you know, the call answering service is great because I could be doing anything in my life and they would take the call and then they, I would just get an email with the notes from the notes from the call and about the lead. And then, uh, you know, I think as long as you call them back, you know, that same day, generally that's, that's fine. Or at least attempt to call them back the same day, you're fine. And a lot of times these people are emailing and texting as well. So that kind of stuff can be done sort of as you as you can fit it in your time. I know a lot yeah. of land investors that kind of do this type of thing on the side and they're trying to get to the point where they can, you know, just kind of quit their nine to five if that's what they want to do. But yeah, um, awesome. But yeah, it's it's one of those things you can put in an hour or two each night. You could probably uh, do some, you know, once you get your system set up, you could you could probably really make it work pretty well. Okay, awesome. Well, and you you also mentioned when we were had um, talked a while back um, about doing this show, you mentioned a story about your kids, which I want you to oh. share again, because I think that's yeah. super cool because it's getting your kids involved in the business. And I think it just really shows how quickly this model can work and how how little it takes to get started compared to some of these other strategies. So why don't you share that story a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So um my kids, um, they saw what we were doing with this model. They had formed a corporation. They they got uh, did the corporate paperwork and everything. They were going to start up another business uh, that didn't that never really came to fruition. But they had that there, and they were like, "Hey, should um, you know? Do you can you show us how to do this too?" So I was, you know, I they're my kids, and obviously I was very interested in that they were taking an interest in this as well. So they what they did was they pulled together. They each had $4,000, which they pulled together. So they had $8,000 to start with and they pulled it together. And then I just um, gave them one of the deals that I had gotten under contract, a smaller one. And I said, Hey, do you guys want to buy this property and, and do it yourself? And we'll kind of walk you through the process and everything. And they did. And long story short, they, they started out with that 8,000. And then just two days ago, they got, um, they just, closed on another deal and now their account sitting at 82,000. Uh, it's, it's been about a year and a half since they did their first deal or since they bought their first property, but they took about a six month hiatus where they didn't buy any properties and other things were going on in life. But so really, and I think about five transactions, they were able to take that for that 8,000 and parlay it into 82,000. And, you know, now it's going to really start accelerating for them. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, one thing that just came to mind for so this is so that's great for people starting that just don't have a lot of money. One of the things that I think is really uh, could be a great use of this, and I'm not uh, a expert in these types of tools and, and that sort of thing, but your self directed IRAs, right? 
like because oh, a lot yeah. of times it's like oh yeah you can buy this stuff in your self-directed ira but it, the limitations it, it, they're pretty limited on how much you can contribute into your yeah your ira right so it's like it sounds exciting but then it's like well how do you get a realistic amount of money in your ira you know if you don't have any money in there right now or something and someone's starting out it's like it takes years and years to get something in your ira with the limitations that you, of your contributions before you actually can have an amount that's you know it's, it's, you yeah, it's, it's fun. invest. but this would take you know you could start with you know your one year contribution and you could actually go out and do something yeah it's funny you mentioned that because i actually just um I just purchased a property with my self-directed 401k, uh, about $13,000 purchase. And uh, we just got an offer in for 37.5. Nice. And that was just like listed right away, you know? Um, so it's easy to see how that could, you know, parlay pretty quickly. And obviously you're not spending any of that because it's got to go back into there and then you just keep it rolling. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Especially like your Roths and your, I don't know which one of you, but like the ones that grow tax free, right? Yeah, um, that's what it is. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. You know, you're starting yep. with a little bit that's taxed up front. That's fine. You put it in there and then you just grow it exponentially. Um, that's that's a great way to do it. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Um, what do you think? So it's it's a different market than it was right a year or so ago, right? So you mm -hmm. you had a couple, but your goals haven't changed. You you want to do even more business this this year, so that's awesome. What do you see? um as like one of the big opportunities in this market and and are you making any changes to your approach or anything with the where we're at in the market and the market mm -hmm. i understand that's a broad <laughs> statement right because every yes. every local market is different but um but yeah we're in challenging times uh different times than we were a year ago so what are you doing maybe to make adjustments and and what opportunities are you seeing well, first of all, one of the things that I think is pretty cool about this business is the average hold time for us is about 60 days. And that's the time we actually purchase the property to the time that it actually closes on the resale and we get the wire transfer back. Um, so it allows us to actually adapt pretty quickly. So if there's some some bigger changes going on, we really notice things slowing down. We're just, about, we're just adjusting our buy prices lower. And the interesting thing about that is I, I think back to my time as a REO listing broker for the banks. This is the, like the worst real estate crash ever, 2007, 2008. You know, it listed property for the banks and they wouldn't, you know, when they list a property, they didn't, they take no consideration on what it sold for before or, or, you know, what was owed on the property or anything like that. They were just looking at current market value. Mm -hmm. So what would happen is they would price a thing like current market value, which was low, very low what would happen is we would get 30 offers in on these properties, you know, like, so even during the worst market crash of all time, there was just a ton of activity and a ton of people ready to buy. So I just look at that and think, okay, so even in the, the, in the worst market ever, as long as it's priced right, it's going to sell. As long yeah. as it's a decent property is priced right, it's going to sell. So, Very true. Very true. You know, so I don't see that. I don't see that type of market collapse. Um, I could be wrong, but I don't see that type of market collapse coming i do you know feel it's softening in a lot of areas and things yeah we've been well, pretty fortunate it was very overheated in several in a lot of markets yeah so for sure to be expected i think so uh, yeah. there's a difference i was there's a difference between a correction and a crash right yes for sure yeah for sure i think a lot of people were assuming that same thing was going to repeat itself and yeah. who knows it might and that's the one thing i learned about real estate you can't really predict what's yeah. going to happen yeah someone's you know, predicting of, it right but who is who is it i don't know because <laughs> yeah you know and and you know like a few years ago 
there was lots of people out there talking about how this crash is coming and they're not, they're putting all their money in cash and everything. And, and if they would have done that, a lot of people would have missed out on the biggest, one of the biggest, biggest yeah, market surges yeah. ever. So yep. they were a hundred percent wrong. Uh, and they were very smart people, I'm sure. But, you know, so no one can really tell. I don't, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. The thing, the other thing I like about land is that, especially in the environment that we're in, it's um, an inflationary environment. So land is one of those real assets that in theory um, should should grow in value, at least to keep up with inflation. Now, the land values really haven't, they didn't have that huge run up in a lot of areas like like residential single family homes because it's more of a cash transaction in a lot, yeah. of, in a lot yeah. of ways. So it's not like people are leveraging, you know, uh, really low interest rates to buy these properties and things. It was, it's always been kind of cash and, you know, there are some land loans and things like that, but yeah, but um, very different than your, yeah. Your in the housing loans, market. Yeah. yeah. How are you marketing your properties on the back end once you, cause 60 days, that's pretty good for bare yeah. land. Yeah. It's all about our, our approach really. So our approach is to, to first of all, buy good properties. So there's a lot of properties that come through a lot of potential deals to come through that we pass on because there's not good property. They ha- they have issues. They're they're just not good properties. Even if I were to buy them really cheap, yeah. you know, I, I just feel like it's it's better to pass on some of those. But the thing is that uh, so we buy good properties and we buy them at a really good price, which will allow us to then market them at a really good price, slightly below market value. So there you go. Yeah, uh, so get a good deal, property, get a good deal, right? Yeah, exactly. And and then the other thing is that we use land brokers in all these areas to, to market the properties for us. We kind of loop them in. We we do loop them in on our due diligence process that we're asking them to give us opinions on the property, any potential red flags, all those things, you know, what they think they could resell it for. And then we give them the listing to to resell it. So a lot of these, you know, we're trying to work with the top land brokers in each area. And a lot of these land brokers have large buyer lists for when properties come up. They've They've got credibility when they put something on the market. They can actually, you know, th- th- there's people actually Generation paying attention. Interest, yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah. So all those things kind of combine. And plus, it, by doing it that way, it's like a whole half of a business I don't have to worry about. I know a lot of land investors like to do that side of things themselves. They market it themselves. They don't want to pay the commission. I'm more than happy to pay a commission because I feel like we're going to get more than that back in return anyhow. So that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, I think I think beginning investors see real estate brokers and and a lot of those folks as now we're saying this as real estate brokers I know but yeah. uh but it is very true I mean you look at it as as an expense instead of um an investment in someone in a professional that knows what now like anything there's good and bad realtors right there's good and bad yes, real estate right. brokers you got so work to right be working with the ones that are worth what you're paying them but uh, but yeah, you're giving a big check to a, uh, to your real estate broker, but there's a reason for it because they're getting the interest and, and they're getting the exposure and all those things that you think maybe you can do as a for sale by owner, but you really, you really can't. Yeah. There's a lot of online tools and stuff like that, but it's not, you know, you don't have, that doesn't get you the network. That doesn't get you the reputation that you have as a, as a, you know, you don't know all the nuances of how to really get the drive interest and all that stuff. So um, yeah, I think that's and, a mistake a lot of dude, investors make is trying to save that money and they're really not. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know. And and the thing is as well on, you know, and, and especially a lot of, you know, investors 
they don't come from a real estate background. So it really helps to have, if you're working with a very quality agent or broker that can help you with the negotiation side of things, kind of advise you on the contract to make sure you're not missing anything. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that, a lot of value that the right ones bring to the table. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot, you it doesn't take much. There's a lot you could miss and it doesn't take missing much to cost yourself what it would cost to hire a professional, right? So yeah, to really um, screw some stuff up for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. So, well, this has been awesome. Uh, I appreciate you being on on the show. Um, if people want to reach out and learn more about how to invest in land, are you uh, are you open to them reaching out and connecting with you? Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Um, I've got a website. It's turningprofit.com. That's a sign I got there. But and on that site, I do a monthly income report, which really goes into detail on everything that happens in our business that month, like the revenue that we took in, the profit that we made, the um, all the deals that we did, we break them down one by one, like on those deals, like what we bought them for, what we sold them for, the profit, how many days we held them for, and notes on each of those deals. Just gives a lot of insight into what's maybe possible within the business. And if it's, you know, something that uh, you feel like you could do yourself and uh, I've, I've got a community I'm building as well that I just started, I just kicked off. So that would, uh, and I'm going to be offering kind of a lot of free training. I don't have any sort of course or anything like that to sell at this point. Uh, at some point, I'll probably be offering some sort of mentorship program, but nothing like that now, just all kind of free content, just trying to get it out there as much as I can. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. That's the, that abundance mindset and yeah. you know, doing things like this and, and uh, doing the, the uh, education and the webinars and things like that, just to kind of share what you've learned and help other people do the, do the same um, and change their lives. That's, that's awesome. That's what it's all about. So um, yep. appreciate you being willing to do that. Uh, nothing wrong with having courses and selling courses and your time no, is, no. is important. So, you know, you can only, you know, the mentorship thing, if, when you start doing that, I think that's, I mean, that's a great thing too. Cause you can't, you know, like you said, there's only so much time in the day. So yeah, uh, that's right. and, you know, some people will want the higher level of service yeah, and, you know, eventually yeah. we'll be offering that. So very cool. Well, this has been this has been super interesting. I know I'm interested in this. I'm going to be tuning in because uh, you know I haven't really. Bit, that's not a, a sector of the market that I've paid a lot of attention to, but um, but this is cool. This is exciting, and um, I'll definitely be checking it out more myself. So appreciate you being on the show. Thanks again for sharing so much. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Ben. Really appreciate you having me. Awesome.